All right, everybody. Well, I'm so glad to see everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is our Wednesday night prayer and devotional service for Lakeview Baptist Church. Thank you for everyone here tonight and everyone um, listening on the live stream. Uh, you can take your Bible and, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Tonight, I, I want to address a topic that is perhaps one of the greatest blessings that a Christian can receive this side of heaven. And yet at the same time, many never obtain it to its fullest. It is that key issue of Christian living called contentment, peace of mind, a settled heart. And so uh, I I want you to take a look here in Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 10 through 13. I'm going to start reading here in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let's just stop there. To understand these verses properly, you must first realize uh, the larger context in which Paul is writing. In this particular section of his letter to the Philippians, he is thanking the church in in Philippi for their remembrance of him, for their generosity, uh, actually giving him gifts, financial support, uh, to the, the Apostle Paul by the church. And of course, Paul is very appreciative of this, but he wants to correct a potential misunderstanding that may arise because he wants the Philippians to realize that while yes, he he is indeed very thankful for the gift, that the reason he was most rejoicing, most uh, delighted to have received the gift was the fact that they had a desire in their hearts to give to him at all. He was not rejoicing in the gift by itself. He was rejoicing in the gift in connection with its givers. He was happy that the Philippian church um, experienced the love of Christ in such a way that they felt compelled to be generous. And so in order to illustrate this point, what Paul does is he gives us some discussion on what the great Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs would call the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Another writer, Thomas Watson, would call this the art of divine contentment. And what this is, is the truth that regardless of his outward or financial circumstances, Paul would remain self-sufficiently satisfied because his satisfaction, his peace of mind, his contentment comes not from the world, not from his life circumstances, but it comes from God. Basically, he wants the Philippian church to understand that he is appreciative of them giving the gift, uh, more than just the gift itself, because whether or not he ever received the gift, he would remain equally as content. And so, as I have said, it is this very art of contentment which I wish to help you see tonight. And so, in order to do so, I want to focus your attention for the moment on the last half of verse 11 here in chapter 4. This is God's holy word. The apostle here says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I suppose it would be helpful at this point to uh, define for you that word content, at least in the way he's using it. 
the Greek word there, atarkes, uh, which is translated as content, means literally to be self-sufficient. Uh, in ancient times, this word was used to refer to um, a city that could survive on its own without uh, resources externally. It has the sense of being satisfied or showing satisfaction with things as they are, so self-sufficiently satisfied. And then when you look at verse 12, the apostle says, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. And so in context, what this word here, uh, content, means is that no matter what is going on in the life of the Apostle Paul, he has learned the ability of remaining satisfied or at ease because of the fact that the satisfaction is self-sufficient. It does not come from the outside world. It does not come from money or pleasure or life circumstances, but it comes from a source which cannot be taken away, cannot be removed from him. And so if we remember back to the gift that the church had given him, Paul has the ability to be pleased whether he ever received it or not, whether he ever received the money or not, because Paul is a man who has learned the secret art of contentment. Now who among us, when we read this in our Bibles, that Paul has learned in whatsoever circumstance he found himself in to be content, who, who, which one of us here does not instantly crave and desire to have that same ability? Is not the gift of remaining contented and satisfied during all portions of our lives something which we all want to possess? I am aware that for many of us, we are so troubled by discontent, by being dissatisfied. It seems to be one of the greatest sins in our lives. Uh, and it can even be the mother of a great number of other sins, we can't stand our discontentment. We want so badly to be content. We want to have peace of mind. We want to be at ease. But, but this is a miraculous skill, and how are we ever going to learn it? Well, I say the answer is found in that word, learn. You see, the apostle here said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You see, this is not something which some people just happen to have it and some people just lack it. It is an ability that is available to anyone, to any of you who is willing to learn. But you have to learn it. It does not come natural. Being content is opposed to what our flesh naturally wants to do. When hard times come, being discontent, being upset, being aggravated being frustrated, that, that, that's the natural thing to do. You, you don't have to teach a child to complain. Um, anyone who's been around very young children will understand that people have the ability to complain before they can even speak. <laughs> it's, it's the easy thing to do. It, it, it is so easy to grumble and murmur about the things that we are going through, but we must understand that that is a sinful thing. We are commanded in Scripture to rejoice always. And to grumble or complain is to violate the righteous principles taught in Holy Scripture. So we understand that the natural thing to do is to be discontent and that what we ought to do, what God wants us to do, is to learn to be content. Well, how do we go about doing this? Well, I think it is best to, to think about it like this. If Paul has learn this rare jewel of contentment, 
Uh, we understand, so Paul, the object of his learning is contentment. And if Paul is learning something, that makes Paul the student. But one cannot be a student unless he has a teacher. And so if Paul is the student, who then is his teacher? Who, who is his instructor? Who is imparting this information, imparting this ability and this technique to him? Our answer is found in what Paul says in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The him referred to here is Christ. It is the power of Jesus Christ which strengthens Paul. And so you see that Paul's instructor here is God. And now you may wonder, how is it that God taught contentment to Paul? Well, there are two ways that can be identified from the Bible, although there are so many others as well. Uh, it, it's really an exhaustive list, but, but the two that I'm going to highlight for you tonight are providence and the internal working of God in your heart. We will talk about providence first. So I encourage you to look now to verse 12 in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, so here in verse 12, Paul writes... I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, when you read the book of Acts, uh, one of the things you realize is that Paul did not have the easiest life. He was on the run. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. He was drugged through the streets and countless other things. And as a result of the circumstances of his life, the things he faced and the things he went through, Paul learned how to be brought low. He, he was very familiar with rough, tough, hard, difficult living. And yet he also says he has learned how to abound. He has learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. God, in his providence ordained for Paul to experience all these different things. And in his experiencing them, Paul was able to, uh, at this point, look back on his life, recognize that throughout all of his various trials since he was converted, Christ was with him. Christ was with him, giving him both joy and strength. And so that, then at that point, he has learned from his own experience to be content in any circumstance he finds himself in. He, he knows that if he has plenty of food, that the Father loves him, the Son has died for him, and the Spirit indwells him. He knows that if he is hungry and has very little to eat, the Father loves him. Christ, the Son, has died for him. The Spirit indwells him. And so he is content. Because his satisfaction does not come from temporary life circumstances. His satisfaction comes from the perfect, holy, finished work of very good God. You see, it is a knowing and reflecting upon Christian truth which brings about contentment into our hearts. Now, something that needs to be added uh, to this idea of, of God's providence uh, is something which Paul understood better than any of us, and that is the truth of the sovereignty of God. 
the reality that God is in control of and in authority over all things. Therefore, anything that comes to pass, whatever it is that happens, is something that has happened within the decree of God. Never, never has a thing happened outside of the counsel of God's will. Paul understood this. He, he wrote about it in your Bible. Um, and, and he also understood it in a very positive way. He didn't see this truth as bleak determinism that robs us of our uh, joy and the beauty of life. No, he understood this in the way that God wants you to understand this. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul said, For those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, this is a comforting truth, a truth which, when rightly understood, should bring about contentment in your heart. And, and the first thing there is the knowledge that God is sovereign. He is in control of all things, and he is working them out according to his purpose. But secondly, that for people who are in Christ, people who are God's people, the reality that all things, which by the way are in God's control, all things are being worked together for good. Paul knew this. He knew that whatsoever should come to pass in his life, whatever situation it was that he found himself in, that wise, loving, caring, merciful God has ordained for Paul to be in that situation. And that if that's the situation God would have Paul in, then that is, the, that is precisely the situation it is best for him to be in. That, that is the situation he is supposed to be in. Now, Christians, you need to remember this. You need to recognize this when you are going through trials in your life. Do not grumble and complain about your circumstances or about the, the situations that arise. Do not moan over the fact that you're in uh, some trial which you would rather not be in. Stop it. If you are a child of God, your loving Heavenly Father has put you in exactly the situation it is best for you to be in. He knows better than you. If God has determined that it would be best for you to have riches, then that is exactly what would happen. You would have riches. But if God has determined that it would be best for you to have very little money for food this month, then that is exactly what would happen. If God has determined that it would be best for you to be healthy, then you would be healthy. But if God, in his perfect wisdom, has decided that it would be best for you to be sick, then that is what will happen. If God has determined for you to be popular, to be very well-liked amongst your peers and amongst other people, then that is what would happen. But if God has determined that it would be best for you to be lonely or to be hated by men, then that is exactly what would happen. And we, we need to rejoice in this. Because we have a, a Heavenly Father who loves us and is taking care of us and is putting us in these various situations, in these various predicaments that we complain about because of the fact that He is wise and He does all these things for our good. And for you to deny that, to become prideful and complain about the situation God has put you in, is a denial of both the sovereignty and the goodness of God. There is the old kind of uh, cliched phrase, everything happens for a reason. 
Well, it's, well, it's true. And, and I can even tell you the reason. The reason whatsoever thing happened was because God had decreed for that thing to happen. God has ordained for that thing to come to pass. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says he has declared the end from the beginning. Whatever trial it is that you are facing, God is taking care of it, and he is taking care of it in a way that humans can't. As an illustration, when I was much younger, we had a house fire, and the fire, um, as soon as we recognized the fire, we became frightened, we ran out of the house, firemen came, and they put the fire out, and, and you see, we were, we were caught off guard by the fire, that's for sure, but the firemen came, they took care of the situation. Well, that is not the way in which God takes care of our trials, because God is not caught off guard by the fire. The fire has always been a part of his eternal decree. Before the foundations of the world, God had ordained for the house to catch fire, and he had a plan for it. It was happening for a reason. And through it all, God was working all that stuff for good to those who love him. Do you see how that is vastly superior to the way in which a human being can take care of a situation? Does that, does that bring you happiness? Does that, does that stir your heart to affection towards God? Remember, Christians, we are children of God, adopted sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And so we must not be discontented concerning our temporary circumstances because whatever they are, they are what God, our Father, has done for our benefit. And so the Apostle Paul says he has learned the secret of facing any and every circumstance with contentment, with a satisfied mind, with peace of mind, with a, with a heart that is rested and at ease. And so that brings us then to the next point, and I would like you to look at verse 13 here in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now just to get this out of the way, this is one of those bumper sticker Bible, uh, bumper sticker Bible verses that gets plucked out of its context, it gets used and abused and all that. Well, if you've been paying attention to what it is that I'm saying and, and reading your Bible, then you will understand why it is that this verse gets abused. You have to realize that this passage of Scripture is not saying that if you are a Christian, you will be able to do whatever you want, that your heart's desires will all be fulfilled or anything like that. What you have to realize is in the immediate context, Paul has just gotten done talking about how he has learned to face hunger. He has learned to have need. He has learned how to be brought low. But yet... While Paul is not denying that we will experience problems, Paul is not denying that we will go through bad things in our lives, what he is saying is that he can do all these things, he can endure, persevere through all these things with contentment thanks to Christ who strengthens him. You see, I just got done talking about how contentment can be achieved by remembering and looking to God, and that is... Uh, and, and all that has been done for you in Christ and remembering God's providence and remembering that he's in control of all things. And, and that's all well and good. Uh, that's why I said it was because I believe it's true. But what is so important and what is so very vital that we understand is, is all that work is intellectual work. All right? that, that's all things that you do in your head. You, 
you think about and you remember all that God has done for you and you remind yourself of it and, and it's, it's really a work of you. But that, and because of that, in and of itself, none of what I've told you so far will bring you contentment. Why? Well, as mentioned earlier, contentment is not a natural thing. It is a spiritual thing. Contentment is a supernatural thing. If someone is truly, actually content in the Christian sense, a miracle has taken place. It's not natural. It's supernatural. So mere intellect alone, mere knowledge alone, will not help you. We understand this when it comes to the gospel and salvation because there have been brilliant, super-intelligent men out there who are smarter than all of us in this room put together. But nevertheless, they were natural men and they died in their sins. Because although they were mighty in the flesh, they were mighty in intellect and respected here on earth and all that, they lacked the supernatural regenerating awakening of the Holy Spirit of God to open their eyes to Christ and to love Him and to accept Him and follow Him. That's why our Lord said one must be born again. And that's why he said that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. Contentment, while I will confess to you, is a lesser miracle than salvation, is, is nevertheless a miracle. And so it does not and will not come about through natural means. You can try and try and try all you want and you will never find it. Dying men and dying women for millennia have sought out contentment and they've tried everything you can imagine, and they still do. That's why today you see much so, uh, so much drug and alcohol use. That's why you see so much sexual frustration and perversion in our culture, because natural men in their sins are reaching out and groping for contentment and meaning and fulfillment and purpose, but it is nothing more than vanity and chasing after wind. They will never find it. Contentment comes first and foremost when one is grafted into the family of God, by God, when one's eyes are open to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and when that person is given sweet peace and reconciliation with God concerning their sins through Jesus Christ. Now, now one of the things you realize if you are a Christian is that, is that Christians are not perfect, and so even as, as Christians who have been given so much joy, given so much peace, given so much satisfaction, nevertheless, we have not reached contentment to its ultimate perfection. We are growing, we are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies and full hopefulness, but nevertheless, here in this life, we must press on towards righteousness. But I, I said contentment was not something that can be attained through natural means. I, I, I said well, I have given you some reasons to be content. Intellectually, you're not really going to achieve it. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me and, and say that some of the things I've said to you tonight are, are not good reasons to be content. The only person who would really disagree with me would, would be a, a non-believer, in which case contentment will be unattainable to them for them until they surrender their lives to Christ. You see... You're not going to disagree with this message in your head. You're going to disagree with it in your heart. Because when you leave church tonight or you, or you turn off the video if you're watching online, your heart will still find reasons to be discontent. It, it will. Uh, Thomas Watson, I mentioned him earlier, said that many Christians are like sieves. 
you put the sieve in the water and, and, and it's full, but as soon as you take it out, it's empty. And, and it's the same way when you come to church and you, or you listen to a sermon or you read a book or whatever it is. You might leave church feeling good, but as soon as you're sitting at a stoplight for too long or some other minor inconvenience arises, comes along, the devil twists that and he uses that and suddenly your heart becomes upset and, and your mouth begins to grumble and, and you are discontent. So this, this is a very hard thing to accomplish. Nay, it is an impossible thing to accomplish. So here's what we cling to then. Right here in the Bible, God's holy word, the apostle says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was talking earlier about salvation. God miraculously changes our hearts and gives us life and salvation. You have to understand that being content, receiving contentment, works the same way. It is a supernatural, miraculous, spiritual gift that is given to us by God. It must be something that God does in our hearts. It must be something that God does in our lives. If you think about uh, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and I, would, I would simply suggest that all of those virtues are, are wrapped up in what it means to be content. And in the first part of that verse, it says the fruit of the Spirit they are things conjured up inside of you by the Holy Spirit of God. And so when trials and troubles come, look to Christ for your strength. And he will give it to you. Because contentment is a supernatural gift. And so for one final word tonight, uh, if you look at everything that I've said, it might sound like I've contradicted myself because I've suggested both that contentment is something that you work for by reflecting on and acknowledging and embracing the truths of Christianity, the truths of the scripture, the truths of what God has done for you in your lives. But nevertheless, I've also said that contentment cannot be attained by that. I said it must be a gift from God. So which is it? Do you work for contentment? Do you do things to try and achieve it? Or is it a gift? Well, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes, you do work for contentment, and yes, it is a gift. Um, so, beloved, look to Christ. Press on towards contentment so that whether you abound or you are brought low, your mind can be well at ease because you are self-sufficiently satisfied. It does not come from you. It does not come from this world. It does not come from your circumstances. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And, um, well, I think I've ran past my time. I'm going to have to say thank you for listening. And Pastor Bill will come and close us in prayer. Thank you.